Hey everyone, welcome to this edition of V-Radio, uh, pre-recorded, obviously, while I was at the Occupy Detroit protest. I was hanging out with some great people there and having a good conversation. There's actually a video of this conversation, which I'm hoping to be able to share with you soon. Uh, we're looking into getting an MP4 of it so that I can upload it to YouTube. Uh, if this happens to be your first time tuning in to V-Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org, or v-radio.org. Uh, there you can see archives of other shows like this one. You can also check out my must-see TV list, a list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet that I think everybody involved with activism should check out. So, I hope you enjoy this uh, edition of V-Radio, and tune in to future episodes. Hey everyone, it's Martin, um, live stream from uh, Occupy Detroit. Um, I sat down here to get out my belongings and stuff, and I'm sitting next to... Neil Kiernan of V Radio. Neil Kiernan of V Radio, and we're going to post the link um, as well, if you guys are interested. He appears to be doing an interview with Jairef, who's one of our live streamers, and also a medical volunteer. Thank you for your service. There she is. Okay, uh, you know, and just the, the volunteers and spirit of all the people that are participating here. I mean, we are bearing the harsh elements here um, because everybody feeling so strongly in the world. And, you know, I, I know the, the nurse that was running the medical tent, she was here for days and nights without much sleep at all. And uh, until there was appropriate staff to take over for her. Everybody here is so dedicated because they feel so strongly about what we're doing here and the issues of people that we're fighting for. Some of those people are of ourselves and some of them are come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. But it's like we, we all qualify each other here and we all consider each other family. And it is really awesome. Yeah. And it's funny is that the moment I walked in here and like I walked back to the food area, I saw that like homeless people were being fed and all that, and I immediately thought to myself, you know, I have these six or seven big bags of chili I'm going to bring tomorrow, you know, because it's sitting in my freezer and I don't need it, and there's a whole bunch of people out here huddling in the damn cold, you know. I also, I, I noticed the camping vibe, and I wanted to participate in it. I'm dealing with some stupid stuff at home, and I have kids, so I can't be here every day, but... I'll probably be able to show up here on the weekends, pitch my little tent, but... You know, and a lot of people uh, have a misconception that there's a lot of jobless, homeless people mm -hmm. that are down here, and that is the crux of the movement, and it's not. Um, a lot of us that are here are, are professionals, or... Well, yeah, I got that. I asked around, I'm like, how many homeless people do you think are here? They said no more than this. Maybe 20 percent or something. The people here were homeless. What he said, yeah. They just—they want us to be marginalized because it's a classic ad hominem. It's let's attack the people who are giving the message to try to discredit it. Oh, there are just a bunch of lazy people who can't find a job. You know, I live in Chesterfield, Michigan. The unemployment rate there is about 43 percent. They never report that correctly. Anytime you're dealing with unemployment rates, you're dealing with people who are currently drawing unemployment. You're not dealing with people who are no longer eligible, you know, or who are never eligible because employers know to fire you under 90 days so they don't have to pay you. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, where I'm at, in order to get into a fast food restaurant, it reminds me of the conversations you used to have, say, in the 80s, where it was like, well, it's like getting into GM. You know, I got this friend, he'll get you into GM. That's what it's like to get into Burger King, where I live. <laughs> right. you right. got to have a friend of a friend up, right. who will get you into Burger King. 
you know. I would do anything. I grew up on a farm. I shoveled cow excrement. There's nothing that people are going to ask me to do. There's just nothing here. So let me ask you a question. How do you look at this as a... Do you see this as kind of an experiment in sustainability and self, uh, self-sufficiency? Because this is a group of people who really draw from their own very limited resources and kindness of others. Do you think that that model could actually be put to work in some of these places that have stupendously high unemployment? For instance, there's a lot of urban farming going on here, and I'm not a Detroiter, so I'm just speaking of a couple things that I know. There's, um, and we just amongst ourselves, we provide for each other. We'll go to extreme lengths for damn near complete, almost complete strangers, except we know they're brothers and sisters. So, do you think that um, maybe we're this could be some sort of a social experiment that could teach people how to cope better in communities that? can't prosper in traditional ways. You know, I had a conversation with somebody I was interviewing earlier about that very thing. It's, people don't know how to relate to each other. There's a, mm-hmm. it was unusual to me, for example, that I had neighbors that were what I referred to as cup of sugar neighbors. Like, if you need a cup of sugar, you go get it. That's only happened to me one time since I left the country. And the reason that's relevant to what I'm getting at here is that we have, and I truly think this is by design, been put in a position where we don't talk to each other. We don't work together. You know, it's everybody for themselves. When you when you study the work of people like Edward Bernays, they design society to be a materialistic situation where your success was measured in what you purchased, your freedom was measured in what you purchased, and everybody's out for themselves. And anybody who can't, you know, somehow manage to find a way to be, to work out in the the rat race fails. You know, there's something wrong with them. They're a failure. But, if, you know, if you work hard enough, everybody can be rich. That kind of silly nonsense that people bring out. Yeah. Maybe we want to go under attack. And the answer is yes. <laughs> Especially in self-determination and self-governance. I've seen a lot of that work here. The consensus decision-making models that you guys are talking about are awesome. Yeah, this is my first time ever experiencing anything like this. What do you think? It's amazing. Um, I wonder how it scales to a nationwide level. It, yeah. well, it's a slow process, but damn, it's it's worth the time. I know a friend of mine, his name is Jack Reed, and he runs a place called Community Planet, and they want to make little communities, and he's an expert in consensus decision-making. And what you do for larger scale is you have smaller-scale groups reach consensus of their views on something that might be relevant to the larger group. Yes. Then those people, in turn, like send a representative who had reached consensus with them, and then they meet with other people, you know, you know, and then the the circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller until you're down to okay, well, this is the consensus of the entirety. It can happen. A lot of it is just about societal social barriers. Like today, when I was talking to a nice girl, I think her name was Cheryl, and you know, initially she was apprehensive when I wanted to ask her questions, but over the course of the conversation, she figured out, no, this guy really is a radio guy, and he's here to talk to me. You know, she opened up. Let's plug your website real quick too okay. while we're at it. B hyphen. Um, hang on, let me. I got. Here, I always do a. It's on your shirt, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> B hyphen radio. I like to take flyers and scroll them down on my uh, when I live stream. So. By the way, will this be available later? Yeah. Um. I'm gonna put it on instant replay, and it'll also be available. We have a, like a, a on-demand library. Oh, be ready. Awesome. Wacky Jackie's online with us already. Oh, hey, you guys, I'm sorry. We have a chat window open, but it was covered by um, uh, our own picture. We've got some chatters in here uh, saying hello. What's going on down there tomorrow, and is anyone going? Is a question from Livestream. 
does anybody know? Uh, the General Assembly is at 12 o'clock. I will be, this is Jara, I will be live streaming the General Assembly. Uh, so um, please tune in and watch. You'll see lots of good information and see how the format of a General, general Assembly uh, works. And uh, I think you'll like what you see. I'll be co-facilitating. Nice. So you were telling me that your friend runs um, a, a center that deals with uh, facilitation. I, I forgot the name of it. Community Planet. Community Planet. And what they do is they will have reached smaller consensus on a smaller level and then reach, then send point people to advocate on behalf of the group. That's correct. So when you reach a consensus in a smaller group, you not only have to agree on the thing that you're agreeing about, but you pretty much have to have an idea of how everybody feels about it too, correct? Because right. you need to advocate on the spot without having to go back and forth between your groups. Right. Um, it would be really nice if your friend, uh, is there a website? Is there educational stuff? I believe stuff it's communityplanet.org. Okay. Hey, Jackie, can you, can you type for, for, the, for posterity? communityplanet.org. I've got gloves on and you're at home. Please. Really fast. <laughs> Let me see if I can line up. Because today we received um, some... Uh, oh, she got it. You're faster than me. <laughs> so I received a packet of information from uh, Global Revolution TV today and they put together a, a booklet basically giving you step-by-step -step instructions on how to set up an occupation uh, from... Uh, uh, you know, you can't lay out all the way to dealing with, uh, you know, funding and stuff like that. Um, so that's one piece of it, and I think I'd like to reach out to your friend and get more information about the um, consensus process. Um, he teaches classes in it, and he sells a book called uh, The Next Evolution. Um, it's extremely, I, it's extremely good. I have a copy of it. I've read several chapters of it on my radio show. Um, he gave me permission to do that. He's been on my radio show many times, so. Um, we did one show on consensus decision making, and there was an interest in doing more of them. I just I got swamped with other guests. Yeah, I'm sorry. What was the title of that book? The Next Evolution. I'm gonna have to hit Amazon. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want to be that dork. With my face in the computer. Okay, my interview. Oh, you're um. <laughs> you know, something I realized, the higher up the financial ladder you climb, the more isolated you are, and the more people isolate themselves from you. It's, it's really a, a bizarre thing that happens in, in the upper class communities. I uh, lived in Detroit for a long time. I lived in Ferndale, and, you know, even in Ferndale, people were walking around friendly, willing to babysit for each other, having coffee together, inviting each other over to everybody's houses. Um, having community parties. I moved to Bloomfield uh, a couple of years ago, and I just sold my house in Bloomfield. I couldn't stand it out there. Right. People drive right into their uh, built-in garage, shut the door, and they never come out. Nobody will even allow their children to play with the other children in the neighborhood. Everybody isolates themselves. That, yeah, and that's awesome. it, gets, it gets worse the more money you make even, but at the same time, the funny thing is, it's when they are socializing that terrifies me. Because you're dealing with a bunch of people, I call them the Prozac generation. It's like you listen to them talk, and they're. Because I have a nice friend who, when they found out I didn't have any family, they'd always invite me over for Thanksgiving. So I lived with one of you know one of the nephews, and you know they were very nice people, but it was just like everybody was talking like they were medicated the whole time, and they weren't. You know, that's why I call them the Prozac generation. It was like, you no, know, oh, so what's going on with you? 
Oh, well, Helen got in a car accident. Oh, my, is Helen okay? Yeah. And Jack's going to college. You know, it's like, it just made you want to scream the F word as loud as you could. Yes. Just to see what they would all do, you know. That's and how the symbolistic sleep that most people, as you say, most people are yes. walking around in. Yes, absolutely. That's, and it's, people don't want to be disturbed from that either. It reminds me of that scene in The Matrix when he's like, there are people who are in here that don't want to be unplugged and they will fight to protect this system. And that's how you end up being called names for being at a protest where we're talking about problems that people are just kind of trying to pretend are not happening. You know, that's why it's like, let's get back from the casino. And there's all these people there playing around with money and, you know, right outside there were people lying around on a blanket there. There's just no way that that was adequate enough to keep them warm for the night. And it just was like... It, it's it's so weird how easily people tune out. Yeah. You know, they're not even conscious of it. And like they're not even conscious of their disconnects. Exactly. Right, and it's right outside, and they can just put it out of their head. Me and him, though, we, the whole time we were eating, we were like, wow. You know, just, just wow. You know, it's really we're in New York stuff. City and yeah, that house. And I've that. been around homeless people when I grew up in Pontiac. Um, met a lot of them at the public library because, you know, that's a warm place they could that's go. Right, yeah. And they'd play chess with my guitar player in the band I was in at the time. You know, and so it wasn't, it just, it had been a while, I think. Um, so, but either way, um, the social disconnect, the the fact that it's against the rules to talk about politics and religion, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that it's out of fashion to be a conscious person and thinking about you know, things that matter, you know, um, as I was telling people earlier, my favorite, oh yes, afraid to think, um, and then when you think about it from the very beginning of the system, you know, who gets picked on the most at school? The kids who think. Yeah, that's right. You know, it, you are discouraged to answer questions, you're discouraged to answer, to ask them. All you're the exercise. Right, yeah. and the funny thing is, is that the teachers don't help them do that, but they never adequately do anything to stop it either, you know. That's why when I was like, when I was going to school, that's when the Columbine thing happened, and I was thinking to myself, when that happened, they were all like, oh, it's about Mortal Kombat and Doom and violent video games. I'm like, you know, anytime I had a violent impulse in school, it didn't have anything to do with Mortal Kombat. It didn't have anything to do with Doom. It had to do with the rich, snobby kids consistently, endlessly harassing me and, you know, in some cases physically assaulting me. That's what made me think about being violent. I don't advocate it, and I would never do it, but it just annoyed me that they totally ignored what the real problem was. Or the opposite happens with uh, kids that they can sit around the fringe or nerds, like, like people like us. I mean, you either turn it outwards or you turn it inwards, because suicide is really an act of anger and hate against oneself. Yeah. And uh, a lot of... I, 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 a lot of girls, I think, become suicidal when they're, you know, smarter and, and trying to prosper and trying to um, exercise their intellect. Well, couple that with the fact that intelligent people have a harder time tuning things out. Uh, like, in war situations, people with higher intelligence are more likely to, con- to contract the various mental illnesses. My grandfather was one of them. Um, he came back from the war with totally horrible post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because he was so smart. He couldn't tune out what was going on around him. You know, and it's, they say that people who aren't very intelligent have an easier time because it doesn't really occur to them the full weight of what it is they're doing. But, you know, it, but to, to, to speak about, like, what's going on here, you know, it's, there are so many people that 
I mean, when I, because like of my activism, we talk about the resource-based economy model and, and, and people uh, who are advocates of, ca of capitalism, um, you're usually arguing with people who have 2.5 kids and a Humvee and mm -hmm. gas guzzler and a really nice house somewhere who are like, if you just work as hard as I did, you'll be fine. You know, and the, the first thing that pops into my head is my mom, you know, when I grew up in Pontiac, Michigan, literally worked usually three jobs. She could not afford a car, even working three jobs, okay? I certainly didn't get a car, okay? She couldn't afford one. You know, nobody could say my mother did not work her damn fanny off, because she did. Right. Just to be just as poor as she always was. You know, th that's the part of it they don't want to get, is that statistics are against you. There's a certain degree of luck involved with it, and not everybody has those opportunities. It's just that simple. And the, when the economy tanks, those opportunities become more and more and more rare. You know, and now those opportunities are being handed to people who are even more desperate than we are. You know, and I don't blame them, you know, but they're going to countries where the economies have been intentionally destroyed. When you go in there, that you find out, you know, it's like the economic hitman talks about this in the Zeitgeist Addendum movie, um, is that they go in, they undercut everybody in there, but they're usually with, um, basically with super cheap prices, they put all of the farmers in the area out of work, and then they buy up all that farmland, and then they put those farmers to work in sweatshop factories. Because at this point, 50 cents an hour is slightly better than starving to death, so they take it. You know, that's why... Um, it's it's unusual to me, particularly, it, it's almost like economic pollution. When you endorse a company like Walmart, um, people don't think about the big picture of what's going to happen when they help a company like that prosper. You know, they don't think about that. They think about the immediate gratification of... Well, I got a DVD player for sixty dollars. You know, right, right. they don't they don't understand that by doing that, their local economy is going to suffer. And that's why I tell people, whether it be in this movement or in others, we are kind of getting to the point that through technology, like technological unemployment, you know, the idea that technology is automating things, or just through advocacy, you know, basically innovation in shipping technology, is now making it to the point like where the overhead for making stuff in third world countries where everybody's desperate for work is now possible. Back in the 40s or whatever, the idea of manufacturing in China to sell in the United States would be silly, you know. But now, through technology, it's not silly. And so the days of working for your labor and selling your labor are becoming a thing of the past. And that's why I tell people, evaluate what it is that you need. Do you, do you need a job or do you need the ability to take care of yourself? The technology oh, to take man, care of ourselves. Oh man, words of wisdom. Yeah. Words yeah. of wisdom. Well, seriously. Yeah. The, the technology to take care of ourselves is all there. It's not. It's not Star Trek anymore. It's amazing to me how ignorant some people are. Like, I remember bringing up geothermal energy, and this guy was like, "Geothermal? That's not real. That's Star Trek." I'm like, "Were you aware that Iceland powers itself 70 percent with geothermal yes, energy?" Exactly. It's 70. Yeah. What if I have a novel idea? What if we put a geothermal generator atop of the Dome of Congress and we harness the hot air to, to, power, <laughs> to power Washington or to well, power it's, homes. It's funny that you bring up Congress because there are people who are like, well, if we just get the right people elected, the system is designed from the ground up to benefit the corporations. It was like that at the very inception of this country. When I worked for Senator Mike Gravel, he taught me the real history. And the reason, for example, we have slavery in the Constitution is because... Um, Initially, 
they wanted to ratify everything by consensus, by like overvoting democratic voting in town hall meetings. When you study the history of the United States, that's one thing like the movie The Patriot. The movie The Patriot was not accurate in everything. One thing it was on about was you had town hall meetings, you voted by consensus. If you didn't agree, you were still able to stand out of it, which is why, for example, he decided he didn't want to be part of the war, so he didn't fight in it. But he, you know, he voted. He did decided he didn't want to vote because he wouldn't be able to fight. Nobody faulted him for that. But the community as a whole decided to go with the war against the against the British. Okay, so they tried to pass a constitution that had slavery in it, but there were too many of the states uh, that had, they were heavily populated with Quakers, you know, and other people who were against slavery, so they couldn't ratify yeah. the constitution that way. Okay, so they developed the delegate system sold it to us as the better way was to elect one guy to speak for your colony. And of course, who wins those elections to be a delegate? Well, that would be the people who have the money, money. to travel rich, around rich white and get elected. Owners. That's right. Rich white landowners. Those are the people who are going to get elected as the delegates. They go to the Constitutional Convention, quote-unquote, on your behalf, after paying for your votes, then you get a constitution with slavery. Yeah. It's The Founding Fathers had some okay ideas, but people tend to forget that like especially when this is the funny thing when libertarians argue with me because I used to be a libertarian of the classic sense now I'm a left libertarian I guess would be what you'd call us but um, we're like well founding fathers had these universal ideas about private property and private ownership I was like yeah it included human beings the, the founding father I like the most Thomas Jefferson owned more slaves than any of them mm-hmm. and that's why I say to people the system you're in was designed to continue to facilitate the aristocracy of the colonies, mm-hmm. the rich people of the colonies. There weren't a whole lot of poor people amidst the founding fathers. That, in fact, worked well into the 60s, and in some places it's still effective in some few places. You convince everybody that their vote means something, but they managed to select for you a small selection of people who they pre-got onto. I mean, like, uh, they just said, uh, for example, those Bilderberg meetings, whether you're into conspiracy theories or not, we know the Bilderberg meetings happened. Agreed. Rick Perry, one of the guys they're trying to push on us, is was at the last Bilderberg meeting. So, you know, of course, he's getting pushed in the media. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you believe in any super-secret cabals with coffins or any of the craziest stuff, any of the crazy stuff you see on Alex Jones or whatever, it's not <laughs> unheard of it that a bunch of rich people would get together and say, hi, hey, how do we stay rich? Yeah. We knew those people. They were called monarchists. You know, they faced monarchists. The nobility. They all worked together for towards the goal of staying on top. So, as long as we're in a system, you know, it, this, another thing, I, I mean, I, I can't get libertarians to agree to this, is stop we're trying to get... so much. Stop trying to get politicians elected who are going to affect change, because it's not in their best interest to do what you ask. Because yeah. they work for the people who can give them the most money. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked us uh, how we feel, you know, are we against or are we for Obama? And, you know, that that's kind of a, not even a, the question is completely out of the scope of our movement, I think. Right. Start, well, think about what I said to people was, rather than investing this huge chunk of money in an education that is probably going to be outsourced by the time you're out of college anyway, invest in renewable technologies for yourself at home. Get off the grid as much as you can. If you can't afford it yourself, get together a community effort, pool your resources, and get off the grid. Exactly. And that doesn't mean going to live in the woods. It just means becoming more self-sufficient so that if shit goes down and banks shut down, you're not out of food. For you're sure. not out of power. 
um, things like that. That doesn't mean let's go pick up arms and live in the woods, for those of you out there on the internet watching, because I think that's the first image that that evokes. Well, unfortunately, there are a lot of crazy people that say that. All right, go ahead and grab it. Um, My point was to say the system is not designed to facilitate us. We are only going to be part of it as long as we are useful to it. And us being useful is not in their best interest. And that's why I say to people, become independent from it. You know, when you think about it, our society has changed immensely. Like, I used to watch Little House on the Prairie, and it occurred to me, he only goes to the general store like once a month, you know? It's like, that's something I say on V-Radio all the time. I'm like, you know, if aliens came here and abducted just the department stores and the markets, even with all the resources still here, Mm -hmm. most people would have no freaking idea what to do with themselves. Yeah. Because we have totally divorced ourselves from the ability to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. It, it's We are becoming more and more dependent on the system every day. Yeah. We are becoming more and more dependent on finding a way to be useful to someone who has more money than we do to work for them in a way that will make them more money from our work than we will ever get. Yeah. Okay? And so that's why I advocate looking into a resource-based economy, utilizing the technologies that already exist to communally, as a group, come together and make communities that are self-sustaining. The technology exists. Communities that are empowered, too. People are not empowered these days, or they don't think that they are. They don't think that they are is a very adequate way of explaining that. That's something uh, Ben Stewart, um, you can look up the Hanged Man Project. Ben Stewart made Chimatica and Esoteric Agenda. And if you go on YouTube, you'll find the Hanged Man Project, and he gives a speech. I've had it on my show like five times. And he pointed out that when the colonists were liberated, they still wanted George to be their king because they weren't even mentally prepared for what freedom means. And they're still looking for someone to direct them. You know, they're still looking for someone to be in charge. And we're conditioned to think that way from the beginning. Okay, there's more to freedom than the physical freedom. It's a state of mind. And if you don't have it, it doesn't matter. You know, that's how you get... You know, women who stay in abusive relationships, for example, they could just pick up and leave, but, but, they, but they can't, or so they believe. Right, right. So they're trapped in a mental prison. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, we are taught from the beginning that that's how it should be. Like, I'm working on a documentary right now about, mostly about the internet troll phenomenon, but it's true in basic, in person, too. We are taught from the earliest age that ridiculing someone is a, is a, is a, a legitimate means to diminish them, to make yourself look superior to them, is to bully someone or to pick on them or to humiliate them. And it's like, just just today, actually, I was in an argument about something on Facebook involving the most basic law of physics, that an object that is lighter is easier to push than an object that is heavier. That's all it was about. And there was a group of people that disagreed with me, and because they were all friends, they defended their position despite the fact that it was completely illogical. But they managed to make fun of me enough that there were people ignoring the fact that I had just totally destroyed their argument based entirely on science. Mm-hmm. And it, there were people who will walk away from that conversation and go, gee, Mia lost that debate, even though I didn't say anything that was incorrect. You know, yeah. that's, the, that's the way that people are kind of enslaved. And just basically just through even just intimidating words, it's not just about physical force. It's about mental force, psychological force you know, having control over people that way. And a lot of people don't realize they're susceptible to it. Even sit down at a dinner table, you know. There's usually one outspoken person who does most of the talking. 
who everybody laughs at their jokes, doesn't laugh at anyone else's jokes. You know, maybe I'm he can. Sorry, uh, you're Neil, aren't you? Yeah, N E I L. What's your last name? Kiernan, K I E R N A N. With vradio.org, right? V-radio.org. Perfect. <coughs> Did you guys get that? They just wanted to reintroduce you. Sure. Perfect. I'm sorry. I hate wow, to interrupt. Wow, the info machine. Want more of him? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thanks, man. Okay, they go just to put my out website. a link, v-radio.org. Again, excellent. I will be uh, tuning in as well. There are uh, roughly 100, 200 hours of programming. Um, my radio show is not always about any one topic. I cover the Love Police. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Charlie Beach, mm-hmm. uh, Danny Shine. Um, I cover Ben Stewart. Comatica, Esoteric Agenda's Hand Man Project. I cover the Zeitgeist Movement. I cover the Venus Project. Um, I basically, all activist movements. And I ha- I am now, it's one of the reasons I'm here, is I want to start covering the you know, Occupy stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, I want to ask you a question about each one of those. <laughs> let's, not, uh, let's not digress, however. Okay. Give us, give us more of your thoughts, though. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm um, glad you came down here. If you guys are, are listening now, as I was saying earlier, my favorite show I ever did was called On the Subject of Sheeple. If you don't listen to any of my other shows, or even if you're not into any of the level heady stuff that I've been saying, anybody can appreciate On the Subject of Sheeple. Mm-hmm. It's a show where I played recordings of, at one point it was people who were listening to Sarah Palin, or rather were waiting outside, <laughs> in a, no, they were waiting outside a bookstore in Alaska <laughs> in freezing weather. To go just to get a chance to have Sarah Palin sign her book for them. And this guy walked around with a microphone and was asking them, so you want Sarah Palin to be president? And he was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me anything about, you know, what is it you like about her? What do you think of her foreign policy? And they'd kind of get blank looks on their faces like, well, uh, uh, you know, I can't think of anything about that. Well, I mean, imagine that she had to deal with issues for being on the border of Russia. <laughs> Okay. Um, and then, you know, it asks, oh, I would really like her to be the next American president. And what do you think of her, to, of her, uh, her financial plans? And they're like, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head, you know. And then that's the whole Sarah Palin video is funny in itself. We talk about it in like a, an open forum format. Like mm-hmm. I have a, a group of panelists. I try to get panelists from all over the world. Um, like I usually have, like there's a guy from the Netherlands who comes on, there's a guy from Mexico who comes on frequently, you know, and in these areas, thanks to the internet, I can do that via Skype. But, um, you know, in any case, uh, um, the second video is entitled Why Ron Paul Did Not Win the Florida Primary, and it's this guy walking around a Florida beach, and he's asking people who they voted for and why, and one of them. Um, African-American gentleman said, I voted for Barack Obama. You know, and there's nothing wrong with him doing that. I'd have been just as displeased if somebody said they didn't vote for him because he was, you know, black. But the point was is that they asked him, well, what's your favorite policy? And he's like, favorite policy? Uh, I can't think of any at the moment. You know, <coughs> like you just voted for this guy to be the executive of our country. You don't know anything about him. You know, and it's some of the really frivolous reasons that we people were, vote. We were sold a really fantastic man and a fantastic candidate. It mm-hmm. was a key, I mean, he's a great prospect all around, and he's very likable by so many groups of people. Mm-hmm. And so whoever it is that picks, whoever gets to go next, mm-hmm. uh, picked the right guy. We were sold an excellent guy. And had he not worked for who he works for, he would have been a 
I mean, the guy's a charismatic leader, great speaker, um, and the whole nine. He he would have done great, but he was just picked because he's he was a great sell. I think it was easy to get him into office. Well, the funny thing he's is, a lovable guy. When I worked with Mike Gravel, um, he was the fiery old man with the glasses who kind of exposed Hillary when she tried to say she was an anti-war candidate. He kind of brought that up during debate, and then you never saw him again. He was the guy who read the Pentagon Papers into the Congressional Record way back in the 60s to help end the Vietnam War. And I asked him what he thought of Obama. He's like, you know, I remember what it was like to be a young up-and-coming senator who's allowed himself to brainwash himself to believe that he can make serious changes and then gets into the presidency and finds out it's not really that easy. You know, he thinks that Obama probably even allowed himself to believe that he was sincere. But the system is not facili- it's not designed to, to deal with that. You know, funny thing is, is, even on a smaller level, like, I was the president of a nonprofit organization once, and being an executive doesn't mean you can snap your fingers and make things happen. Right. There's all kinds of systems and checks and balances that prevent you from being able to do that. You're going to get the Congress on board, you're going to get the Senate on board, and, you know, of course, if, even if it's a good change, if the Republicans are holding the Congress, they're going to make sure you fail, because they need you to fail so that you won't make presidency next time around. You know, that's... Yeah. <laughs> It's just not a good system, and that's why I advocate a system wherein if we're going to build a bridge, we talk to architects. We don't talk to politicians. You know, if we're going to, you know, build, a, you know, handle a food problem, we talk to farmers and agricultural experts. We don't talk to politicians. Politicians get elected through selling themselves to certain corporations. You're going to ask a politician to solve an agricultural problem. Well, then he's going to give a no-bid contract to his buddies over in Monsanto. Yeah. We're going to use genetically altered crops to give people cancer to maximize profits. Mm-hmm. You can just talk to the experts and build a real system. When everybody's motivated by the benefit of all people involved, you eliminate the profit motive. That's where the real work comes at. And that's that's basically what this is about. You know, I agree. Um, uh, to people who are checking out my website, some of my radio listeners are involved in different conspiracy theory stuff, but that's not all what I cover. In fact, we don't talk about 9-11. We don't talk about any of that stuff. Um, you know, Not really, anyway. Um, we try to skillfully field those questions as well because you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Well, that's basically it. It's like I've been telling people because there were some people involved in the Zeitgeist Movement because of the first Zeitgeist Movie, and I said to them, I'm like, look, um, if we get what we want, which is a resource-based economy that eliminates corruption at its core then false flag terrorism will stop. It'll go away. Mm-hmm. Because there won't be any incentive. Mm-hmm. Concentrate on the solutions. People don't want to hear about 9-11. But you can generally explain to people, you know, you could get off the grid. <laughs> you know, uh, how about not having an electric bill? How about not having a gas bill? How about not having, a, you know, a grocery bill? You know, you could sell that. <laughs> right. But you may not be able to get them to agree to everything else. And that's one of the problems with activist groups. Is like we would get all these groups, these little splinter groups, and we're like, I want you to make it about our issue, and I want you to make it about our issue. Like, uh, the, the, you know, the, the drug guys who want legalized drugs. I'm like, look, I, I get it. But you'll get what you want because we are not interested in stopping you from doing stuff. Okay? Yeah, we're going to give You're, you your voice so you can get what you want. Right, but, but if you bring that up and act like, oh, and this, or this is required, then we're not talking about resource-based you know, economics anymore. We're not talking about solutions for the planet anymore. We're talking about, well, I don't want people using heroin, which is not even relevant to the overall. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say to people, you know, like we had one lady, she was a bit crazy, so I can't really blame her, but she was really big on the feminist stuff. And I'm, 
it's like we tried to tell her, we're like, well, that's fine, we're all about equality and egalitarian societies. It wasn't sufficient. You know, it was like they always say they want to be equal, but this one in particular, she was not satisfied with that. She wants egalitarianism. You know, and you shake your fist a few times and it starts to well, become... You know, maybe we should mm. let women have a go at it. Men have been ruling dynasties and kingdoms for centuries and look where that's got us. Maybe we should let them have at it. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is within, like, the the activist organization that I'm part of, like, women are really high-ranking. We don't even think about it. In fact, the issue of gender had never been brought up until she brought it up. And, you know, my organization, (laughs) I work for a place, and uh, all the executives and all the decision-makers, well, like, 75% of them are women as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, mothers with families, really, actually, really cool stuff. No, I... I'm fine with it either way. I'm for, but it's. I keep going back to the word egalitarian and equality. That's what I really want. My mom, she was the biggest person in my life. I was raised by a single mom, all about that. But my mom was also. I could just hear her in my head going, "Why are you asking for a handout? You know, you, you are equal. So go be equal. You know, stop jumping on these people for you know for being men. It's not their fault. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I do have to go for now. But I will be back tomorrow. Um, but uh. Do me a favor, because uh, uh, I would need a link to that. Uh-huh. Can you post that somehow, or maybe yeah. email it to me? Yeah, what we're going to do, you guys, is um, we're going to shut off the live stream for two seconds. And um, Neil and I are going to exchange information. I'm going to also make sure that this video uploads correctly. Um, we love you. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. All right, folks, uh, that was it, and uh, I hope you enjoyed that edition of V-Radio. I will be going back to Occupy Detroit tomorrow. Uh, With any luck, I'll be able to get you guys some more of that. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be recording their General Assembly, which I will be um, co-facilitating is the term, Um, and basically helping them to make sure that everybody gets heard. So uh, thanks again for tuning in to V-Radio, folks, and uh, thanks again for all of your support. Um, the V Radio raffle will be going on sometime in the next couple of days to figure out which one of you lucky people who help to support V Radio will be winning an item from the V Radio store. So thanks again, folks, and uh, with any luck, I'll have uh, more stuff for you soon. I've also been conducting some interviews that I'm going to be writing a blog about. But uh, I got to tell you, folks, the Occupy Wall Street movement is awesome. I, I came back just so hyped. So energetic, you know, so many smart people in one place is definitely refreshing. So um, that's the other thing I want to say. You know, these people who are suggesting that these people are not organized are just full of crap. Because in the few moments that I was there, like, they managed to organize a meeting that, like, just people showed up for a meeting about a topic. There was nobody in charge necessarily, but they put together a facilitation system where everybody was already participating and it was an extremely productive meeting. And it had no agenda before the meeting started. And by the time we were finished, we had, like, you know, solid plans what we were going to do the next day. You know, um, their their consensus model decision-making is absolutely working. So just some things to think about. You know, really get involved in this, you know. And, you know, just be sure that these people understand. It's not about co-opting anybody or, you know, trying to change their direction. The reality is, is it's pretty clear to me from dealing with some of these people that, you know, they recognize the same problems, and some of them are looking for other solutions. So, you know, we can offer them those solutions without any of the other crap that goes along with, you know, what, you know, because that's the problem is people, like, get the reputation that Zeitgeist is all about conspiracy theories and all that. So, you know, just talk about the resource-based economy, talk about the Venus Project, you know, talk about the other work that, you know, people like Peter Joseph does that has nothing to do with conspiracy theories, talk about, 
you know, social theories and social evolution, you know, and that'll be a lot much more productive. You know, we can learn a lot from these people and they can learn a lot from us. You know, honestly, I don't really consider myself to be a separate entity now. I'm, you know, definitely involved with, you know, Occupy Detroit. So uh, I just would encourage you guys to do the same. You know, there's going to be a lot more receptive people there. It's actually like a breath of fresh air. So thanks again for tuning into this pre-recorded edition of V Radio. Please check out my website, v-radio.org. And thanks again for tuning in.